Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now on the phone line, our ESPN MLB insider, Randolph Center, Vermont native, our guy Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? What's up, Brady? I'm doing better than the Red Sox are today. I don't know what it is about them and the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, how lucky are the Red Sox that Tom Brady's coming to town this week and that Friday and Wraparound Monday will be consumed with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, uh, you know, and, and, and look, if they wind up finding their way into the wild card game on Tuesday, in all likelihood that would be against the Yankees, um, then it, I think from, you know, their perspective, it'll, it'll all be okay. And uh, I think Red Sox fans feel good about it. The funny thing is, is that this, the way that they finished, uh, has, has, I think really muddy what, you know, should be remembered as a, a good year of progress for them. Nobody, no, you know, prognosticator, no idiot like me, uh, thought in spring training that they would have a chance to win the American League East. They were first place for a lot of the years, uh, a lot of the year. And it's been, uh, you know, it should be, I, I think, within the organization looked at as a, you know, a good season. But the fact that they've lost these games against teams they should beat, lose two or three to the Orioles uh, down the stretch, that's hard for them, I think, to, I think for Red Sox fans to really get their head around. There's a great stat that was put up by the Elias Sports Bureau overnight that it's only the third time in history that the Red Sox have lost the series. Uh, to a team that's entered the series with at least 100 losses. Uh, one was in 1916 against the Philadelphia Athletics, uh, 2019 to the same Orioles, and now Baltimore again in 2021. They controlled their destiny going into the weekend, and now they're in trouble. Buster, I feel like I'm trying to decipher the Constitution and hieroglyphics when I look at tiebreaker scenarios, but there is a possibility that the Red Sox end up tied with both Seattle and Toronto. I mean, how complex is this? Because I still don't know what, what could happen by the end of the weekend. It's so complex that I'm going to rescue you and I and all of our listeners and tell you I am not going to try to describe what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> because what they... You know, I'll, I'll just touch this, I'll do a, a quick thumbnail of it. They identify team A, B, and C, or effectively, you know, number one, number two, and number three seed. The number one seed gets to choose whether they play in the first game or the second game, and then the other teams fall after that. But it, it is the type of tiebreaker that's going to make your head hurt. Uh, you know, and I think from the Red Sox perspective, they feel like, well, at the very least, we have, you know, two pitchers, uh, you know, our two best pitchers potentially lined up to pitch in these wild uh, wild card tiebreakers. And a lot of people are saying they root for chaos. Me being part of the broadcast on Tuesday night of the American League wild card game as scheduled, I don't want chaos. <laughs> I want to know where I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. How, how does team A, B, and C get identified? Is it a random draw? Is it based on? No. It's based on regular season success. So in other words, if we had had a three-way tie, this part is one example. Uh, if we had had a three-way tie between the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Red Sox, the uh, Red Sox would have been Team A, effectively the number one seed. Blue Jays would have been Team B, and the Yankees would have been Team C. And the Red Sox would have controlled some of the choices that were made about whether or not they were going to play on Monday or play on Tuesday. Hmm. Wow, definitely definitely confusing, and I think I'm with you. I'm not rooting for chaos either. The teams the Red Sox care about, Seattle, they're at home against the Angels, Toronto's playing Baltimore. How do you see those series playing out? Well, and, and I want to qualify my answer by saying that I 
said on my podcast that I do on Thursday, well, ah, the Red Sox will win out. They'll win all four of the remaining games. <laughs> they you know, promptly go out and lose the Orioles. So I have no, uh, you know, no credibility when it comes to predicting what's going to happen down the stretch. Look, the Nationals are a lousy team right now. You know, they traded Trey Turner. They traded Max Scherzer. Uh, they're already in the process of rebuilding for next year. The reason why Juan Soto has uh, done such a phenomenal job for them is drawing comparisons to Ted Williams because he draws so many walks. He's getting walked because everyone looks at their lineup. We're not going to pitch to Juan Soto. Hmm. Um, and the Red Sox, you know, I assume will we'll take the same approach. I think one X factor in that series, I think, is the fact that the Red Sox will not have access to their DH. And so if you're Alex Cora, you're probably going to try to wedge J.D. Martinez or Kyle Schwarber into your lineup. You guys, I, I, I'm cringing a little bit. I can't imagine you would try to wedge both guys in, but there's some, going to be some difficult decisions, and we'll see how he handles that. Seattle plays the Angels. The Angels look like they're kind of playing out the string. And if they, uh, with the Mariners playing so well, if they you know, swept the series, I don't think anybody would be shocked. Toronto gets to play the Orioles. And my instinct is that the Orioles absolutely would be a team that the Blue Jays would beat up because their lineup is so good. Uh, they have so much firepower. And you saw them against the Yankees, even though they lost the series to the Yankees recently. Man, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Marcus Simeon, that team does a lot of damage. It wouldn't surprise me if the Blue Jays went out. The Yankees, on paper, have the toughest pass. They face the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and, you know, the, what works for them, though, of course, is that they do have that two-game advantage. I think at the end, I think it's going to be the Yankees against the Red Sox, but I've changed my thought on that about six times <laughs> in the last two weeks. Buster, only ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. If the Red Sox do blow this, does anybody need to be held accountable or are we all just still kumbaya with this regime going into the offseason? Uh, uh, to be held accountable, say, that we're going to see in San Diego with the Padres or with the Mets, uh, where people, a lot, bunch of people are going to get fired, I believe, in those two places, uh, I don't think it's the same. But I do think that there, you know, if there hasn't already been a conversation, there needs to be a conversation of, look, when we were at the trade deadline, we were in first place. How was it that the three teams chasing us in the division, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, were all more aggressive in terms of adding help than we were? Uh, in particular, how are we not more aggressive in adding help for a bullpen? Uh, I think that was a surprise to other teams. Uh, I, I think that's the important question as they assess what happened in 2021 and look ahead to 2022. But I don't think anybody should be fired for that because, as they say, you know, big picture, and, and maybe – Within the organization, they'll feel this way if they don't make the playoffs and a couple weeks go by and they focus on, you know, hey, uh, you know, we, we actually had a good season of progress with this team. We continue to build up the infrastructure of the farm system that they'll feel a little better about it. They do need to talk about what they didn't do. Defensively, the Red Sox have been a nightmare most of the year. Yeah. And specifically, Rafael Devers has been particularly bad at third. Now, I thought he had made some real progress there for a portion of this year, but he's really regressed. What happens to Devers long-term? I remember having a conversation with you uh, when Devers came to the big leagues, and I had talked to the evaluators with other teams who were telling me, like, he can't be a third baseman in the big leagues. He just, he just can't. Uh, he's too erratic with his arm. Uh, and Devers proved that to be wrong. You know, he, he turned out to be much better than anybody realized. 
but he's not very good. And my conversations now with people at other teams about the Red Sox are, okay, at what point do they start to move some of the chess pieces in the infield? Because uh, Xander Bogart, you've seen the metrics. He's considered to be arguably statistically the worst shortstop in baseball. Uh, you know, Devers, the worst third baseman in baseball, according to the metrics. And on top of that, and, and an X factor that, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. There's all this talk about how they're going to regulate defensive shifts um, in 2022 and beyond. And so in, uh, in recent years, you've seen a lot of subpar defensive shortstops or infielders protected by defensive shifts. They won't be able to do that anymore. Mm. And so at some point, you would expect that, that there would be a conversation with Rafi, with Xander, okay, you know, where are we going to move these to be more comfortable? The natural place for Devers would be to first base, but here's the thing. The Red Sox' best prospect is a first baseman. Yeah. So do you want to go down that road, or do you want to see if you can ride out Devers a couple more years uh, at third base? And if Bogarts eventually moves, do you, do you put him at second or do you put him at third? And uh, Bogey has a, an opt-out in his contract at the end of next year. Would you rather have that conversation before, during, or after you work something out where you get to keep him on the team moving forward? I guess part of the Devers DH discussion hinges on what J.D. Martinez does. And I was listening to Lou Merloni the other day uh, on the Red Sox broadcast and on WEI, and he said he doesn't know what J.D. is going to do. Martinez has this option, one year, $19 million. He could certainly opt in and stay in Boston where he's comfortable, but he has shown some signs of regression this year too. It might be best financially for him to opt out, try to get one more good semi-long-term deal, and maybe that would open up the DH spot for Devers. Like, What do you think is the best course of action for Martinez? He would be crazy to opt out of the contract. And I, I've asked that of a you know, number of agents uh, who believe that there's no way he's going to replicate what he would make in salary with the Red Sox if he were opt out of the deal. Uh, I mean, think about some of the contracts that were signed by, uh, you know, that type of player, corner, outfielder, slugger type in recent years. You know, you're talking about like one year at $6 million, one year at $8 million. And, you know, there is a perception, whether it's fair or not, that J.D. just can't play the outfield and be an effective player. The H's are not making a lot of money. Nelson Cruz, here's a great example of Nelson Cruz, I think this year is paying, playing for like uh, $12 million. Uh, something in that range, he's been unbelievable. Hmm. Like Nelson Cruz every year is a metronome of, of production, and that's the high end. So the perception of agents is that JD, in, uh, in most, in all likelihood, will wind up just uh, writing out the contract, becoming a free agent after 2022. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. We are in the week of Tom Brady coming back to Foxborough, and there's been a lot of stuff coming out. Seth Wickersham at ESPN just wrote this book that's getting a lot of play about kind of the power struggle within the Patriots organization. You covered the old Yankee teams and the Yankee dynasty of the 90s. Did you ever get the sense that there was a power dynamic there or that there was uh, people were upset or resentful of each other. Cause that's the picture being painted in new England. Did you ever see that in New York? Absolutely. Derek Jeter and Brian Cashman, uh, the general manager and you know, Derek, the, the captain of the team and, and all time great players conducted the hall of fame. Um, they ended on really bad terms uh, with Derek uh, announcing his retirement on Facebook without telling the Yankees ahead of time that he was going to do it. Um, and in fact, 
uh, the Hall of Fame induction, the morning, morning of the Hall of Fame induction, Derek called Brian over and said, look, Patch, I want to talk to you. And they talked through it. And there's been a gradual thaw in that relationship. But when that documentary comes out on Derek Jeter, I think it's going to be next year. I sat down for a long interview for part of that. You can bet that that ugly relationship between those two, between Derek and the Yankees for a few years, is going to be a big part of it. Well, interested in that. Interested to see what happens this weekend in Foxborough. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider. And Buster, as much as it pains me, congrats to your Vikings on beating my Seahawks last week. Nice. We <laughs> finally got something right. <laughs> so, Buster, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Brady.